0: blue collar fitness what is blue collar blue collar is a
1: mindset and attitude it's work that you can be proud of i'm trevor powers i'm connor burton and i'm josh sargent whether you go to the gym work at the gym own the gym or if you're just a creeper pretending to do curls watching girls on the elliptical this podcast is for you even you All right, guys, welcome to Blue Collar Fitness episode 27. This is the last episode of 2020, but not the least. We have a very special guest for you today. Uh, We have, I know her as as Izzy, but I, I should have probably asked if I should have, you know, given you a better title than that. She was a very influential person on me during my time at Oregon State as a uh, strength coach intern there and uh, she's an awesome strength coach who's been there for what seven years now correct me if I'm wrong uh,
2: depends on uh, what calendar you start on but I've been there for 10 years which is like pretty crazy yeah. um, but four yeah, of them were that. as a student-athlete so six-ish
1: that's awesome
2: yeah it's it's been fun
1: you're tenured now
2: <laughs> something like that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Corvallis so, has a way of pulling you back in.
1: <laughs> to uh, start things off, how was Christmas?
2: Oh, it was great. It was great. It was pretty low key. Um, the husband and I just stayed around. Uh, went to the coast a little bit. Played some golf. Uh, we were lucky to have some good weather on the twenty fourth. I think maybe so. Yeah, it yeah. was nice. It was really low key, but you know, we do what we can.
1: <laughs> Perfect. We, Are I- you guys got any big plans for? You got any plans for the new year?
2: Um probably eating some pizza and going to bed at like ten
1: o'clock.
2: We're old now, so it's we're not that much fun. Staying
1: in is the new going out. Oh yeah. Sure. You're still you're still twenty something, right? You're not uh you're not actually old.
2: I am yeah. still a twenty something, yes. Yes.
1: Right, right. Twenty-one, maybe plus a couple, you know. So
2: give or take, yeah.
1: Right, right. So, um, let me see here. I sent you a little bit of a, uh, itinerary here. We don't have to stay completely on it, but, uh, I'll start you off with uh, question one. It sounds like you, you, you came very prepared today. Uh, so we have, uh, Uh-oh.
3: Did I? <laughs> what are, what, <laughs> what are,
1: what are some, um, what are some, some things that you have, uh, what are some challenges you've faced coaching at the D one level?
2: Oh, some challenges. Um, I mean, I think that I'll phrase this as like a up and coming professional. Um, I think learning how to be a coach is a lifelong pursuit. Um, And so what kind of clicked for you as an athlete might not click for other people as an athlete. So I, for my first five years, coached who I wanted as a coach. But then you realize there are so many different people out there and people have different goals and different motivations and so it's not necessarily about what you want <laughs> to put into their brains but what can you impart on them that they want to kind of absorb so that's kind of a challenge um i would say being a female is like you're kind of down the middle of the fairway answer um but honestly at oregon state i've had a really great excuse me great experience um and Yeah. I mean, I think that here, the culture is very much like you're just a coach. So if you're a good coach or if you're a bad coach, it's not because of your gender or your sex. Um, And Oregon State, we um, actually just made another hire, which is like super exciting. Um, And we now have three female strength and conditioning coaches, which is like pretty unheard of um, at this level, which is pretty cool. And this is like a contrast to when I was first hired. I was the first female strength and conditioning coach at Oregon state. So, um, out of our five Olympic side with three women, that's over 50%. I mean, that's like pretty insane. So we're pretty, That's awesome. yeah. And I mean, it's just the culture. Like some people ask, like, well, do male athletes like respond well to female coaches or do male coaches respond well to female strength coaches or whatever. Um, but it's really a non-issue here. And I think it's cause we have full, well, one we're good coaches, I think. (laughs) um, and two, we have full support of our bosses and their bosses. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's an inclusive culture for sure.
1: Well, how do you think we can encourage the next generation of female strength coaches to get out there and, you know, and, and go for these positions? I know with my experience, it's very limited, but I remember back, you were the only female coach back at Oregon state when I was there. And then at the Mac it's, we'll put out a job application and we, I don't think we can legally say we want a female, but we will get like a hundred male applications, and then we will get like two females applying. Um, and you know, it's 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 like uh, you guys are in high demand right now. Um, how, how do we how do we encourage um, uh, young up and coming female strength coaches to get into this profession?
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's a great question. Um, for me specifically, I would. I would say recruitment is probably a really big one. Um, The only reason that I'm a strength coach right now is because somebody said, hey, you like to lift and you're pretty good at it and you work all the kids' camps and you seem like this is something that you're passionate about. Would you be interested in doing an internship? And before that, I was like, I didn't even know it was a job that was possible for me because though I experienced having a strength and conditioning coach. I never saw myself kind of in that role. Um, I thought it was pretty unattainable. And I also had a very non-traditional kind of route into strength and conditioning. Um, I was actually a calm um, and rhetorical analysis major in college. So it was definitely not something on my radar. But then once I kind of got into it and got into that headspace, um, I realized that this was like the thing I'd been waiting for all along. And probably the reason why I was dragging my feet on getting out of college. So then I spent my fifth year um, doing all my kin classes, doing my uh, studying for my CSCS test, eventually took the CSCS, passed, got credentialed, and then kind of the rest is history. But I think recruitment is huge. I think early identification and then kind of like uh, mentoring maybe, but like showing people like, hey, this is a path that you can definitely do. Um, And I would like to believe that now that there are three female strength coaches, the female athlete student population like definitely knows that you, you can be in this job. Um, so, I know, so I know it's our next kind
3: seven. of like sorry sorry oh, yeah. so it, 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 it's just like finding that that mesh because you they saw in you the, the fact that you enjoyed like coaching coaching little kids and, and whatnot and they, they saw that and then they, they kind of they kind of mentored you and saw that mesh point and like, okay, you like, you like lifting, you like coaching. Let's, let's make this something that, that you can, you can do for the rest of your life, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, that's awesome. That's fantastic.
2: No, seems I like was... a, how
3: you, Sorry, that seems like how you sort of developed your
0: passion for strength and conditioning. It was like, you were kind of hand selected and then it just kind of, you know, really manifested itself from being selected, but also like you have the experience in you know lifting and, and uh, you know softball and so on and then like working with kids so they obviously saw that like ability to adapt and to be able to coach people which is really really neat
2: yeah and i kind of just hung on <laughs> for so long <laughs> that i wouldn't take no for an answer like i mean it sounds kind of like a cinderella story but there there's a lot of uh, a lot of long unpaid years of like i'm putting in my time and i'm doing my dues and if this is really going to be a thing for me, then like, I'm going to go all in and see how it goes. Um, fun fact, uh, in my first paid position, I was, maybe I shouldn't say this, but whatever, (laughs) I was making less than I did as a student athlete. So like, yeah, scraping by a little bit. Um, thank, thankfully, my parents were understanding and kind of got that this was it for me. So they helped me out a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's been awesome.
1: That's a great segue. Uh, how do you think, um, what, what, do you, what is your experience with strength conditioning with talking to other people in the field? It seems like there's just a lot of really long, hard hours that are unpaid at the beginning to get that experience, to put your time in. And, you know, if you're not willing to do it, there's someone else that's willing to do it. Um, you know, it is a, it's a, it's a labor of love, you know, to be able to work with athletes and to help athletes get better, um, seems to be something you have to really be in love with because it's not, it's not a quick way to get rich. That's for sure.
2: Yeah. If you're doing it for the money, you're probably, uh, not in the right field, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit to do with the, the newness of the profession. Um, there is a large saturation of people that are trying to get in. And I thankfully was able to kind of like skip that first step, if you will, but they're not just gonna hire any person off the street. Like you you have to do your time, but it's less of like, I need to do X, Y, and Z, and then I will get a job. And more like, I need to figure out if this lifestyle is going to be uh, kind of cohesive with what you're willing to put up with. Because the, the highs of this job are super awesome and so rewarding, right? Like you get to impact so many young people in their most formative years. But then the lows of this job are you don't really have a schedule, and you sometimes have to give up holidays, and you have to travel a lot, and you have to put in long hours. Um, so it's I thought of that time of my life in like, am I ready to make the commitment to do this job 100%? Because there are a lot of people that come in and want to train athletes, and probably could train athletes in another arena, but don't want to wake up at five or four thirty in the morning, get there at five forty-five have a group, have a quick breakfast, go, go to practice, have another group. And then like, end up leaving at like six 7 o'clock at night. Right. And right. Then, That's so, the- so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a trial time. I want to say it weeds out a lot of people, um, but people who, who really are into it and want to do it, will find a place to be, which is cool.
1: How many hours are you guys putting in, um, there a week in season versus out season? Does it change at all?
2: Um, I think it kind of depends on the teams that you have, um, right now, my teams are in alternate seasons. So in the fall, when one team is in season, my spring sport is out of season and vice versa. So you're kind of always in season and in off season. Um, I would say in off season is when you're really putting in a lot of work in the weight room and that kind of in training and practice. Um, just because that's the developmental time for the athletes. And then in season is more just like management and making sure they have what they need and travel if you need to. Um, but I mean, I'll say last term on average, my day started at 6 30 and ended at six forty-five PM. So it's not like constant, <laughs> don't get it. It's not constant, like grind the whole day. Like you have time to lift, you have time to have some lunch, you have some meetings, you can answer emails and stuff, but it's long kind of strange hours. So yeah, it's just a different lifestyle, I think.
1: You have to love being in the gym. You have to be a gym rep, literally.
2: Mm -hmm. Very much so. (laughs) Yeah.
3: How would you
1: say, how would you say softball and that experience affected you as a person and also as a strength coach? And do you think, this is a two-part question, and do you think it is advantageous for a strength conditioning coach to play uh, sports at a high level
2: oh that's a long question okay we'll we'll start <laughs> with the first part of that and then I'll ask you the second part after I'm done with the first part um okay so what did softball how did softball help me with strength and conditioning and develop me as a person um yep. I think I think the sport of softball in general is quite uh, mentally arduous um right like you could do everything right you can do all the reps you can put in your time, you can watch film, you can track spins and all that stuff. And if you succeed three out of 10 times, like you're a baller. For me, it was more like 1.9 out of 10 times. So I kind of had to, um, I had to battle with not being like the best anymore, right? Because you're in high school, you're really good. They tell you you're, you're gonna go all the way and you come to college and then everybody else is like you. And you go through this kind of identity crisis, like, okay, I play softball. I'm here. I'm at the highest level for softball. That is, there's like, there's a pro league, but it's um, still kind of developing, Um, but I'm here, but I'm not, I'm not contributing the way that I thought I was going to. And so for me, that kind of like cold bucket of water in the face helped me um, get into strength and conditioning because I think I really needed something tangible to say, like, I did this and I got better at it. Because like I said, like a a batting average is such a hard thing to like actually control. And the more you try to control it, the less control you have. So, um, I was really throwing myself into strength and conditioning, um, had the absolute pleasure of having three great strength coaches. Um, one Brendan Ziegler, he's at Cal state Bakersfield now. And he was like a hard ass, um, and really like wanted you to be serious, which kind of like Gave me a little challenge, which made me excited. Um, my second was Mark Phillip. Um, I think he might be with the Seahawks now, I'm not sure, but he's kind of been all around. Um, and then my third, Mike Johnson, who you guys had on the podcast, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, and he is like that dude is the salt of the earth, like he will tell you ex- exactly how it is, um, even if you don't want to hear it. Um, and is the most consistent human I've ever met in my entire life his discipline is like unparalleled like the dude the dude had two hip surgeries
1: yep
2: two hip surgeries and is still lifting and doing everything like a normal human I'm like dang I like roll my ankle and I'm, I'm like out for two weeks <laughs> <See you
1: later. laughs> he was there like the next day in a walker you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yep um, We're like why are you here yeah
3: that's my <laughs> but
2: that's Mike though right like and I think there's a huge lesson to be learned from him and I think I learned a lot from him and like what it actually takes to be successful and that you actually have to stick with something for years if you want to be good at it.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah. We see that like re- resilience and confidence is something something that you've learned because I feel like you and Mike have a like kinship and relate in that way where you both have resilience and confidence as you know straight coaches because it takes years and you know hip surgery and rolling your ankle is no big deal or it's it's a, not, not no oh, big yeah. deal. I'm at the state. It's not, not a big deal, but yeah, I just want to point that it. out. Like exactly. Resilience is like a big part of a Venus strength coach.
2: Yeah. And I think if you're not, you just don't do it anymore. Right. Like y- there's always an option not to do it anymore. And unfortunately there are a lot of people that get out of it for one reason or another and not because they're not resilient, but it just, it's a hard life. So you do have to be resilient for sure and then confidence. Oh my gosh. So my, I want to say my first, like two, let's say two years, just to be nice. Uh, my first two years, I'm literally one or two years older than the oldest people on the team. Um, the women's soccer program, when I took over for them, there was, there was a woman on the team, Mackenzie Redberg, who was actually older than me because she had come back from serving in the military. So like that dynamic made me have to become confident and portray myself in a certain way, really, really quickly, because with the athletes, if you don't have their trust and they don't believe that you have the credibility and you know what you're doing, they're not listening to you. Right. Like if they, if they think that they can do something better than you, why do they need you?
1: So that was a huge thing. (laughs) Do you think just being really strong is a lot of street cred for athletes? Like I remember I did not know that much as an intern but I could lift a decent amount of weight or I, you know, I'd be like, they're trying to lift some like, you know, deadlift thing. And I'd be like, you do it like this. And they look at me and like this little dude just lifted that. Like, and then all of a sudden (laughs) the big guys listening to me the whole time and takes what I have to say seriously, you know, um, just, just that just goes back to actually getting in there and knowing the craft. There was so many kinesiology students at Oregon state and they were so smart, you know, and they had better grades than me. Um, but you know, you try and get them in a weight room and they don't know their foot from their hand. Like they don't, they don't know what they're doing at at all. So, um, would you say that that is, is half of it right there? Just experimenting and getting in there and lifting some weights.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that kind of answers another question that you had asked previously is like, do you have to be an athlete to be a strength coach? And I don't think you have to be, I think it gives you um, a little bit of an edge as far as like understanding the environment and being comfortable there, but a weight room is a weight room, right? So if you know your way around the weight room and you can portray your knowledge and your credibility, it doesn't matter if you played a sport back in the day. Right. Um, yeah, I think, I think being strong is definitely credibility building. Um, the cool thing about athletes is generally, they don't really care who you are and where you came from. If they think that you can help them, which is great. Um, Now, the other side of it is not so great. If they don't think you can help them, sorry, see you later. But if they see you deadlift something crazy that they didn't think you could do, they're like, oh, maybe this guy knows something that I don't know. And maybe he could help me deadlift a little bit more whatever. You know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's just an athlete thing. I think if you're good at adapting to environments, then that's the thing that matters. That's the thing that matters.
1: What are some, uh, some people that you've looked up to in the industry? Uh, you mentioned earlier that you didn't start going to college to become a strength coach. You were communications major. Um, what, uh, you know, what influence have you had in terms of books or, um, mentors that have brought you up to speed?
2: Yeah. Um, okay. So We'll start with kind of people that have guided my thought and philosophy. Um, I would say, number one, my current boss, Jeff Macy, he's like, he's the real deal. Um, He flies under the radar in a lot of different ways. Um, He's not really big on social media. He's not going to be like your keynote speaker at a conference, even though he has done that. And we've made fun of him for it. (laughs) Um, But he really likes to dive deep with the people that he's working with. Um, so I feel very fortunate that I've been invested in by him. Um, and he, his mentors, um, Alver um, who obviously is like, I think the winningest strength coach in the entire world. He worked for the, um, Chicago bulls in their height. He worked for the San Francisco 49ers. Like he is basically strength and conditioning. Um, so we kind of follow that philosophy and tree, um, other people that I look up to, um, Nate Barry, who was recently at Eastern Washington. Um, I, he gave me my first chance here to work with his teams, um, men's and women's golf at six in the morning, a hot ticket <laughs> and then women's basketball. There you go.
3: Yeah. All, all the interns
2: were banging down the doors to, to get to that one. So. <laughs> but, <laughs>
3: <There you go. laughs>
2: but no, he, he was awesome because he he was a hard ass in the way that like, if you did not coach the way he thought you should coach, then he was going to tell you. Um, and I remember I was, I think I was working on clean and jerks or something, just like in the middle of the room and he walked by and I was like, Hey Nate, like how does this look? And he's like, you don't get to talk to me yet. And I'm like, okay, all oh. right. pecking order. I get it. I get it. And eventually, I mean, <laughs> we, eventually we became really good friends <laughs> and he did help me with my clean and jerk, but it was a, uh, it was a bit of a, a work in progress in the beginning. Yeah.
0: <laughs> wow. So like speaking of clean and jerk, like how did you, how did you get involved into Olympic weightlifting and what did that mean to you as an individual, as far as just the overall kind of meaning behind what drives you to, because I've seen all of your Olympic lifts on your Instagram. And oh, it's like, God. it's pretty impressive. <laughs>
2: Don't look at that! <laughs>
1: Don't look at that. <laughs> oh man, um, I could not do it. <laughs> her her Instagram is not i z b a t a y. No, it's that's, definitely it's not, that's not what it is. Oh, Don't go there, guys.
2: Uh, it's so funny. I post what I post on Instagram now compared to what I used to post is like night and day stuff. Um, but <laughs> I will say, um, Olympic weightlifting was an early love for me, and like kind of my release from softball if you will um so i again like with the strength coaches i had they were not afraid to clean and snatch and like jerk athletes which is kind of like a fading thing nowadays and like we went hard like we went hard and i remember um, my we did the bridge program which is this like introductory summer program where freshmen student athletes come And they go through four weeks of strength and conditioning with the strength coach. So they're not just like thrown in with the returners. Um, And I had not done any formal strength and conditioning before college. And I remember being like, I'm never going to be able to snatch the bar. Actually, I I would forget which one was snatch and which one was clean. And so I'd have like a wide grip and like try to clean it. Or like my hands were like super narrow, like a clean. And I would try to snatch it. It was terrible. Um, But I thought I would never be able to snatch the bar. Like too heavy, too heavy. And then over time, like the, the feeling and the expression of force that comes with the clean and the jerk and the snatch is like so addictive. And the only thing I can really relate it to is like when you're taking batting practice and you hit it on the sweet spot of the bat and it just goes and you don't even really feel like you hit the ball. If you can get into the right positions in a snatch and a clean and jerk, like it's the same feeling. And to me, that was like all I needed. And so I like kind of became obsessed with it. And, um, towards the end of my career, I knew I wanted to do something and I was in the weight room constantly. And I asked Mike Johnson, and this is actually kind of, funny, I was like, Hey, Mike, um, I know I want to do something in fitness after this, like compete in something. Um, I'm thinking of either weightlifting or bodybuilding. What do you think? And he's like, those are two completely separate mm. things. And I'm like, what you I mean? They're both, you lift weights with both of them. And ultimately I chose weightlifting. Um, I think it was because I was more drawn to the, like, what can you do kind of situation? And I didn't have the discipline and heart to like kill myself with a million reps of bodybuilding, like props to bodybuilders. But I don't know if I could ever do that. I think like sets of five is like intense. (laughs) So
0: (laughs)
1: exactly. Or sets of five is cardio. Oh yeah. I I don't know what (laughs) it is about bodybuilding.
0: I don't know what it is about bodybuilding, but I've, a, I've, a competed, I've competed in uh, five competitions and it's torture. It, it always hurts. and like the,
2: <laughs> like the mental diet. stress. Oh my, like for me, mm-hmm. I, I'm very much because I've experienced like three out of 10, somebody else controls your fate situation. For me, I was like, I need to be in total control of what weights I do, what lifts I make. Like no one's going to tell me if I make or miss a lift versus bodybuilding is like, you do all this like super hard work and you're training and you're cutting and you're doing all this stuff. And then you walk on stage and somebody else tells you if you're, if you're looking good or not. And like, you think you're looking good, but maybe somebody else doesn't. And to me, Uh that's like a lot up for chance. I'm like, eh, just give me the barbell. Put me in a singlet, I guess, but that's about it.
0: (laughs) And and you love the expression of force. Like when you're under the weight, and you're able to snatch that weight up. That expression of force is like you said, addictive and, that's something I would be interested in is, is there a way that the general population or people who are, who are not advanced lifters could benefit from that? Like, could they do medicine ball tosses or something similar to Olympic yeah, lifting? Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I am definitely a proponent of Olympic lifting. So if you have somebody who can teach it well, like I say, go all in on that. But medicine balls are another thing that are super awesome and allow you to express force. Um, it allows you to move in different planes, which I really, really like. Um, and I don't know, med balls are also good if you need to like take out some aggression or a little bit of extra stuff on the wall. So, yeah, I mean, I, again, I think sport is just different ways of expressing force in different planes and, um, the better you get at that, it's only going to help you. So, yeah.
3: So you, you had mentioned, uh, that a lot of training for athletes has, has gone from more focus on Olympic lifting to uh, something else, and I—is that more of a transitional thing, or maybe maybe a trendy thing? Like, do you think that's something that might might kind of phase out, and everyone kind of trans transitions back into powerlifting or the powerlifting motions or Olympic lifting motions?
2: Yeah, I don't know. It's it's really interesting because there's nothing there's nothing new there might be trends, but there's nothing new in strength and conditioning. Um, and I think it kind of depends on like who the dominant voices are at times. Um, I do think weightlifting has had a resurgence, uh, recently, mostly because people are like, not afraid to attempt it anymore. Um, I think kind of with CrossFit and people being more active on social media, um, and it kind of depends on who you learn from, right? Because for me, I find the Olympic lifts so valuable for my own training. And I see a lot of re- results for my own training. So of course I'm going to teach it to my athletes, but if, if there's somebody that didn't learn it or didn't connect with it in the way that I did, but they did connect with like a kettlebell swing or a weighted to jump or something else, like why wouldn't they teach it? You know? So I don't think, right. I don't think alternatives are bad by any means. Right. I think they're, I think they're just alternatives. And as long as you're coaching your athletes and they're moving at different speeds and they're expressing force, like whatever.
3: Fair enough.
1: They're all just different modalities to make athletes better at producing yeah. force quickly, yeah. right? So whether you're the kettlebell guy or the med ball guy, or, you know, trap bar <laughs> clean guy, uh, I don't know why not just teach in <laughs> my opinion, just teach a regular clean, you know, That
2: might but, be a new one know, for me. I haven't heard that uh, one. Bar <laughs>
3: clean, Nice. <laughs>
1: I'll, i'm just trying to think about uh, cal, how that could work <laughs> it won't it won't work <laughs> cal cal Dietz from um try who, who's a proponent of triphasic mm-hmm. is uh been really popularizing the trap bar clean oh i'll have um, to look it up so <laughs> yeah looking look, basically you can still work on force production really efficiently quickly at the beginning so maybe if you want to, right. you have a new athlete, you have a bunch of freshmen, you want to get them really quick, really explosive, really fast. Maybe you could do something like that as well as teach them technique in in Olympic lifting. But um, yeah. what are some books that you have influenced you? Speaking of triphasic, what are some books that have influenced your strength and conditioning philosophy? Can I
2: go back to the last question for one second and then we'll go to the new one. Go back. I just, I want to have two little points to make at the end of that. Um, I think that having variation also helps if athletes can't do things like if your kid can't snatch, like it is not fair to them to try to teach them how to snatch if it's not happening, if they have some kind of injury modification. Um, and then, oh, I forgot the last one, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think that we try to like choose sides and be like, oh, it's the Olympic lifting people versus the kettlebell people or the velocity based people or whatever. But like, we are more the same than we are different and it's just chosen modes, right? Chosen modalities. Um, but yeah. Okay. Books, um, for, for work or for pleasure or for both,
1: you know, we're, uh, we're, uh, not completely, uh, just a one track podcast. Let's, let's do pleasure and work.
2: Well, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this, <laughs>
1: Or multi-dimensional.
2: <laughs> I swear we like things besides. Them. Um no. <laughs>
1: that's all we talk about, but you know. Yeah,
2: hey. <laughs> I don't know. I think I, I find that sometimes books that are not training focused give me the best insights into training um and coaching, kind of like in those kind of peripheral bubbles. Uh so I try to kind of focus on that stuff a little bit more. Um, because there's always gonna be another article, there's always gonna be another book. Um, but what makes a good strength coach and kind of a a differentiating strength coach is somebody who can control like the culture and the relationships at least in my mind I'm also a calm major so if you if you look at stuff through the lens of calm it's going to be calm um but Simon Sinek's new book uh the infinite game have you guys heard of that one
1: I'm writing it down I'm about to check it out
2: So Simon Sinek is an interesting guy. He, he works, I think he's a psychologist, but he works in the leadership realm. Mm -hmm. Um, And he wrote a book called, oh gosh, find your why or something about your why. And I read it back in college. Um, And then leaders eat last, which was like a really cool um, book kind of based in like how we evolutionarily um, or evolved <laughs> and like what like why we do what we do basically um but his yeah, new he, book
4: he, he's really big on finding the why like he talks about the golden circle and a lot yeah, of different yeah, things yeah. when you can I, so I know he, both of those books yeah he's he's amazing
2: yeah and much more well spoken than me so simon sinek if you ever hear this i'm very sorry that i'm butchering all of your work
4: <laughs> i know he won't
2: but like just in case um <laughs> does a lot of stuff on like youtube has a podcast um called on optimism that i listen to quite frequently uh, but his the new book is really interesting because he talks about life from a perspective of something called an infinite game or a finite game um and
4: yeah it's amazing i've got that book too you, you've it, got it, it have you, it, have you it, finished it, it? it i haven't finished it um it's like but that infinite mindset because that's a big thing with with me is just trying to figure out how, how people look like you. Okay. Cause I've always, I've been morbidly obese. I've been obese. I I stop at rep eight, you know, and you guys keep going to rep 15 and I've always like, what the hell is that? So I actually got this book because of what you're talking about. It's amazing.
2: Cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I think everybody should read it. I mean, the, his anecdotes in the book are not anything to do with really training or strength and conditioning, Um, but real life examples. He does some case studies of like World War II and people's forethought. He looks into business. um, Why He looks at why Apple um, has done quite a bit better than Microsoft, which is like, I think Microsoft has a little bit of comeback right now, but definitely not (laughs) overall. Um, But yeah, he talks about this idea of an infinite mindset and that leaders who are infinitely minded or playing an infinite game are playing for the long run versus people who are finite minded or are playing a finite game are playing to win now. Um, So like a finite game is like a game of football. There's a clear winner, a clear loser. Um, You know who the players are. There's a set, like there are set rules. People get punished for breaking the rules, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I don't have to explain football. And then an infinite game is like the pursuit of business or the pursuit of marriage or something, right? There's no clear winners. There's no real way to like tell somebody how to play the game. There are multiple strategies. There are different players all the time, right? There's no winning. You can't win marriage, I think. I don't know. I haven't <laughs> won marriage yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Depends <laughs> on what the argument is. Yeah, right.
2: I mean, I think, but I think that might be a finite mindset if right you, know,
3: exactly. you win there. <laughs> As somebody still, who's yeah. been
2: married for three very long years. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, I, um, I think that I think it's a really good book. I, I'm not going to try to explain it too much because um, I wouldn't do the service, but definitely look into it. And if you're not into mm-hmm. books, um, look into his podcast he's pretty good
0: all right simon um finnick finnick that's how you sick
4: yeah we'll we'll put the information about the book in his podcast in our show notes um if that's okay connor um because he's one of he's (laughs) one of my yeah
2: he has a lot of youtube videos too
1: yeah maybe we can get him on the podcast someday we'll see um is he that would be a dream speaking of podcasts um
0: Okay, you're on a podcast right now. Besides ours, what are your favorite podcasts?
1: <laughs> oh
2: man, okay.
0: Okay, take as Besides, much time as you need to, or whatever. Can I can I look at my
2: podcast app? Yes. Um, I have a couple tried and trues, and then I jump around quite a bit, like chasing after speakers.
3: No, this is actually a test. You're not allowed to look at notes.
2: <laughs> oh dang it! <laughs> <laughs> I failed. It's an I'm
3: open sorry. book, open book test. Here we go.
2: Uh, I'm in an infinite game and there's no winning or losing, so.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I Um, like it.
2: I like, so I like Simon Sinek um, on Optimism. Um, Oh, here's a strength and conditioning one. I like the Gamecast with Vern Gambetta. Um, I have definitely listened to a ton of the Finding Mastery podcast. That's a good one for performance. Uh, Dabbled in like Tim Ferriss. Um, right. Brene Brown's new podcast on um, Spotify, which I don't have here. She has one called Unlocking Us on iTunes, which is really good. But her new one on Spotify is about leadership, which I really like. Um, specifically, her interview with Abby Wambach. Um, that's a really, really good podcast. I like want all my athletes to listen to it. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. um, that's Bert- Brené? Uh, Brené- Brene? Brene Brene Brown. Brown. Brene Brown. Renee Brown. She,
2: she's a, a psychologist, a research psychologist that looks into uh, shame and vulnerability and how that affects leadership and culture. She's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Uh, hardcore history. <laughs> Great. There you <laughs> go.
1: That's a good one. That one's um, like and, 99 cents each, right? Hardcore oh, yeah. History. But
2: it's so, it's so good. And the old ones are really good. Um, and then uh, the moth for like just random pleasure listening. It's like little random anecdotes that people read at open mics. It's, it's pretty cool. So yeah, that's my rotation, but I definitely will listen to one-offs if I think that the guest is um, somebody that is worth listening to. Yeah.
1: I'm noticing a trend here that is uh, something that seems to be a recurring trend with, with our guests that work with people. And you're interested in not only people, but in psychology and understanding how people work. And I think you're, you're, you're definitely, you're right. You're right there. And, uh, that's, you know, you're successful in this industry and it shows, um, would you say that understanding people and how they work is just as important as the nuts and the bolts of getting people stronger in, in the strength and conditioning world?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, I think that in strength and conditioning, it's not... It, it is not easy, but more or less it's a simple endeavor, right? Like we're preparing the athletes for sport. We need to remember that what we do is not their sport. They have their own sport. We're just helping them with it. Um, but the complex thing is getting them to do it right. Having them buy in, um, Jeff has this saying insist and assist insist and assist so the insist is establishing goals and standards and like letting them know what they are. So I'm insisting that you do this because of this. And then the assist part of it, which I think of as the communication part, the culture part, the compelling part um, is basically all of the intangible, right? Um, It's coaching them, it's communicating with them. Do they understand what they're doing? Do they understand why they're doing it? Um, And so that assist part is like really the part that I'm interested in. Cause the insist like, again, a million smart people in the world, but if they cannot communicate it and if they cannot compel their athletes to do it, if they cannot get the trust of their coaches, like it's kind of all for not right. You might as well just look in a book.
1: I, I think you're right there. Easy segue here. And, uh, what, you know, and you don't have to, um, this is a huge, huge topic, but what is your lifting or strength and conditioning philosophy? Um, if, you know, it's been what, 10 years now you've been in the game. Um, I think you're, you've had enough time to solidify some stuff, some things maybe you would want to pass on to the next generation of up and coming uh, strength coaches or athletes.
2: Yeah. That's such a hard one, right? Because a, a, a philosophy I think is a lifelong pursuit. And as soon as you think, you know, something you're ignoring something that you could learn. Um, but right now, what I can surmise in a short little tidbit is it is to me, I'm very much a generalist. Um, I want to make sure that the athletes are robust. Uh, they're resilient. Um, they're adaptable in moving in different directions. Um, they, and they are, uh, they're smart, right? So, um, It doesn't necessarily matter the like programs that you put them through, but are they learning? Are they learning what they're doing? Because my biggest regret of being a student athlete was just doing the program, right? I did all the reps, I did all the sets, I jumped when they said jump, I ran when they said ran, and I did the summer packet when they gave me the summer packet when I went home. And at the end of it, kind of in this transition period where I'm like, "Eh, I'm gonna try bodybuilding or weightlifting, somebody who is completely ignorant to like what's actually going on, Um, I realized I didn't know what I had been doing, so it's my goal to teach them why they are doing what they're doing, and so that they, if they choose to train in the future or after they leave here, they will actually have um, learned something over their career at Oregon State versus having just, like, plugged and played, so I know it's not really a philosophy, Um, I could tell you, like, I prefer Olympic lifting, I... I'm a big proponent of the squat. Um, I like to be balanced in the body. I like to do total. Like, but I don't think that is like, that's not why I do this job. Right. I like training because it makes me feel good. I know that I can make my athletes better, but I also want to teach them something and I want them to be more resilient people and like better, better humans, which is like such a cliche thing to say, but when they leave, they need to be more prepared than when they came. Is that good? <laughs>
1: You're you building. You're turning kids into young adults, and you're yeah. teaching them to fit to fish instead of just giving them
2: exactly. fish. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. That was That's much. That was much more succinct. And I think, <laughs> I think that college is such an insane time in someone's life. Right. Like for most people, it's the first time that they're leaving their house. They don't have their parents to kind of be that safety net to make them food to make their decisions for them. And for me, if I can take somebody who is supposedly in the top 5% of what they do and bring them into a room where they're a beginner in the most formative time in their life, where they're used to being the best and they're not the best. I think a lot of really, really good work can be done there because they have to embrace the mindset of being a beginner. They actually have to do the work and put the reps in, right? Because you're not gonna get stronger if you don't lift the weight, right? Right. <laughs> like guarantees, not what, what does Mike always say? Guarante- or, um results are not guaranteed. <laughs> you you right. have to do the work and it kind of exposes some things. And I think that how athletes are in the weight room very much reflects who they are kind of as people at the time and then who they are as players or athletes. So it's a very telling, it's a very telling arena.
1: Character building as yeah. a strength coach, yes. Yes. you are in a, a very unique position because you're kind of in a, you can almost, you're an authority, but you're kind of almost can be an ally to the kids because their um, sport coaches, What if they're completely honest with them, with what's going on in their life, they could lose a roster spot or they could risk their scholarship. Um, but do you think that you've kind of been able to been there, be there for some of these kids as a mentor um, and things outside of their life? and and becoming adults as opposed to just getting stronger.
2: Yeah. I mean, I hope so. I hope so. That's what makes it fun to me um, is to see that progression. Um, And yeah, I mean, obviously athletes are really close with their coaches because previous to them coming to the college or the university, they sometimes have like three, four, five year relationships from the recruiting process. Um, But it is kind of fun when Like they're in the weight room because athletes are in the weight room almost as much as they are practicing. And you get to know the kids because they are they're generally perfectionists and afraid of doing things wrong. And I try to encourage failure um, in a safe way, right? Like we teach them all the all the safety measures, but like putting themselves out on a limb and being vulnerable and seeing what happens versus in practice, they are sometimes really scared to mess up and are not going to take that risk in front of their coach because they want to look good all the time. I tell them like, Hey, like this is a learning, this is a learning room. Like the only way you're really going to get better is if you try to strive a little bit and try to fail. And I think when you open up that door for athletes that have that pressure to be perfect all the time, you really, really connect with them, um, on a personal level. And I am thankful to have kind of been in their shoes. I can share my anecdotes and how I also had been in that same place. Um, They laugh when I told them that I tried to clean a snatch and snatch a clean. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, and I I have athletes that I keep in touch with like to this day that I had five years ago and they're all doing their own thing and they'll check in or send a Christmas card or something, Um, been to a couple weddings. So that's fun. I haven't officiated a wedding. That's that's Mike Johnson's status, but definitely oh, yeah. definitely have good relationships.
1: <laughs> that's for true. Sure. Yeah. He he mentioned that when he was on the podcast last time and I didn't doubt it for a second. I was like, "You know what? Yeah, that guy you can tell he genuinely cares about his athletes. He genuinely cares about people."
3: Yeah.
1: And I think that's what we want to do on this podcast is we want to share with our audience the stories and the energies of people that genuinely care about people and making the world a better place. You'll hear, you know, you'll hear about the, the Dan Johns. You'll hear about these people that are very influential on social media. But there's people just like you, Izzy, that are doing, that are changing people's lives daily, that are really intelligent, influential people that won't necess- their message won't necessarily be told unless someone is like, hey would you tell your story? Would you tell, would you share who you are and what you do on our podcast? And, and that's what we want to do at Blue Collar Fitness. That's the name. That's the philosophy. That's, that's the whole thing. So thank you for, for coming on.
2: Oh, and thank you guys. This has been such a pleasure. I really appreciate it. You're welcome.
3: It's been fun. <laughs> thank,
1: you thank you so,
3: you so much. much Izzy. It's, yeah. it's awesome seeing you again. And it's awesome seeing your success.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's great seeing you again. And great to meet you guys, Dave and Connor.
3: Great
0: to
1: meet too, Izzy. Appreciate it. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: All right. All right. Bye. Good
1: night. <laughs> yeah. See Happy you. New, you. Ha- Happy New Year. Last but not least, guest of 2020.
2: Thank you. <laughs> Happy pleasure. New Year.
1: 2020. Go 2020.
0: Go to 20. Yes. Crazy
1: year.
0: Have a good year. have good new years. Hey, more better.
2: More better. Yeah. yeah. More g- and hey you know if this pandemic ever ends and you guys are in corvallis please you know shoot me a message and come by and say hi we'll get some
1: coffee or something that'd be great to see you. absolutely oh that great i would uh next football game i'm allowed to be there i will be there so heck yeah, heck yeah. Absolutely. come back to the old
2: stomping grounds
1: <laughs> oh man i can't wait awesome okay
2: thanks guys see ya
1: Love yeah. you. good night Bye. Bye, Z.
4: That was a great episode. Thank you so much, guys. What did you guys think? Thank you, thank you for listening. We will. This is our last episode of the new year, and uh, we're out.